repeat that question again? When somebody first meets you, what do you want them to know? I've always been reading life. If you do not understand someone at first, what do you want them to do? Uh, repeat that question again. If you don't understand somebody, what do you want them to do? Oh, I should let them know, please make sure you're paying attention to me. Make sure your lips are visible for me to see. So I can read your lips here at the same time. But please don't speak too slow. Just speak normal, loud and clear. That's it. Is there anything that makes your dad one of a kind? What is it? Because he loves me. How do you know I love you? Because you always say it. Because mm -hmm. you always say that. I always say that. And what else? Um, I show it, don't I? Right. If you don't understand somebody, do you feel bad? I don't feel bad at all. I mean, I always ask them again. Please repeat it over and over again. Even they ask again two or three times. And they say, never mind. I said, please finish that conversation. What question you asked me, what statement that you made, Mr. Clarification, because when you start that conversation, I want to end it with that person too. I don't like how people say, never mind. Please never say, never mind. Just try to finish that conversation if you can. What's it like having a son who can hear? Let me read that question again. What's it like to have a son who can hear? Having a son who can hear it benefits me a lot because he understands the surroundings outside the house. What kind of things do you help him with? Him, like, knowing if there's a tornado or, like, dangerous things or someone calling him on the phone. If you could make the decision between being hearing or deaf, what would you choose? I would stay with being deaf because I like where my little life is leading right now. I have no problem changing who I am today. I'm proud of myself for how I accomplished today. If you could change one thing about your dad, what would you change? Nothing. <laughs> If you could change one thing about your dad, what would you change? Nothing, he said. Well, wouldn't it be great to be loved like that? To be loved so much that somebody sees past all of your problems or imperfections and instead they just just see you, you know, and, and they love you deeply because of who you are. Um, I can't think of a, a better way to be loved. I recognize that uh, we don't all have fathers who love us that way. Um, and I know that days like today can be difficult if you're in that situation. But it's awfully nice to know today that we have a God who does love us exactly like that. In fact, there's this really great story in the Bible about uh, this fellow who had a son who kind of went his own way. It's probably one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told, the story of the prodigal son. And the story goes that this, this son came to his father one day and said, Dad, I want you to give me all of my inheritance now. And the father surprisingly says, okay, fine. And so he takes what he owns and he divides it between the, the two sons that he has. And so that younger son, the, the one who had asked for the inheritance, he goes off to some uh, far off land and he wastes all of his father's money on wild living. And after he has wasted all the money, there's nothing left in the bank, he 
takes a job doing some pretty terrible work, uh, just, just cleaning up after and feeding some pigs. And it's about this time that a famine hits the land where he is living. And he starts to realize that the pigs are eating better than he is. And he thinks to himself, you know, back at home, my father and my brother, they have got to be fat and happy and healthy. You know, they're eating all they want. And then he starts to think about his father's servants and how they are even better fed than he is. And so he decides he's going to go back home and see if his father will allow him just to become one of the servants. And so he sets off for home, not sure exactly what his father will say. And as he gets close to the house, his father sees him coming from a distance. And the Bible says that his father actually runs down the road chasing after him to welcome him back home. And despite the fact that he has made a mess of his life, and despite the fact that he has wasted all of his father's money, the dad still says, go and get a robe and put it on him. Go and get a ring and put it on his finger. Go and kill the fattened calf so that we can have this celebration. Because this son of mine who was lost has been found. This son of mine who was dead, he is now alive. Wouldn't it be great to be loved with that kind of love? The kind of love where people push past our limitations, they see through the mess that we've made, and they just see us for who we are. Well, here's the thing. Every single one of us who is in this room today has at one point or the other been the prodigal. In fact, a lot of us may be the prodigal even today. People who have gone our own way, left behind what God had hoped for us and instead chased after our own desires, despite the fact that we know those desires might well ruin our lives. All of us have been people who have broken the rules here or there. All of us have been people who have crossed boundaries we shouldn't have crossed. All of us are people who have betrayed a trust and told some little secret we shouldn't have told. All of us are people who have stretched a truth. And maybe today, it's not that you're guilty of just going around breaking the rules all the time, but maybe the case is you just didn't quite follow the rules the way that they were intended to be followed, you know? Maybe you followed the letter of the law, but you didn't follow its original intent, you know? Like all of us have been people who have been the prodigal son. And what that means is that there is this, this chasm, this gap that exists between us and God. This chasm created by our own sin. And there is absolutely nothing that any of us can do to cross that chasm and get back to the other side. And that's what's so great about the story of the prodigal son, and it's what's so great about our God. Our God is willing to run down the road and chase after us in order to try to bring us back home. Our God is willing to cross the chasm himself in order that he can be where we are. Last week, we started this new series called uh, Everyday Carry, and we talked about how... Um, you know, people make a, a big business out of trying to figure out exactly what the perfect items you ought to carry in your purse or your backpack every day are. 
And we talked about how there's some, there are some essential ideas that we really ought to carry around with us, too, everywhere we go if we're going to be Christians. These central beliefs that help us understand who we are and who God is. And so today, we're going to talk about the second in this series that basically gets back to the, the, the essentials, the, the, back to the, the basics of, of what it is that we believe. Last week, we talked about how our God is big and huge and powerful, so big that He literally creates everything that we see. And yet, despite the fact that He is so big and beyond belief, our God is also a God who cares about us personally and cares about us deeply. And what we're going to discover today is that our God cares about us so personally and loves us so deeply that he was willing to come himself here to earth to be like us, to give up all the privilege of heaven in order that he might give us a chance at cleaning up the mess that we have made of our world and of our lives. Today we're going to talk about Jesus. And just how important it is that we have him as a mediator. I mean, that's the word for it, right? The word for what Jesus has done for us. He has been our mediator, our go-between. He's been our intercessor who steps into the middle of all of the mess and muck and mire of the world and says, I'm going to do something to bring you back to God, because I am God who has come to deliver you. It makes me think of when I was little, this great system that we had up the little holler where I lived. Now, I've told you about this before, I think, several years ago, but here's the thing. This is something that all of the grandkids in the room and, and maybe the grandparents need to hear every now and again, because you need to adopt this system, okay? Here was the way things worked when I was little. When we got into trouble, not that I ever got into trouble, okay? It, this was mostly for my cousins. It wasn't for me. <laughs> but if we got into trouble, we had this great system that would save our skins. Okay, like for instance, this one time, let's just say that, that um, uh, somebody, I don't know who, but somebody took scissors and they cut the mane of our horse off and then they cut the horse's tail off because their hope was that they can make the horse look a little nicer, you know? And then somebody comes home and says, uh, anybody know what happened to the horse? No, nobody knows. Well, Paul, you were the only one home. So do you know what happened to the horse? Oh, no, I have no idea. And then I get the job as a punishment of mucking out the stall for the horse, right? But guess what could happen that could save you from your punishment? You could receive something called the granddad pardon. My granddad believed that since he was like the patriarch of the family, he had the right, just like the president, to pardon anybody he wanted anytime if they happened to be in trouble. Now, you didn't always get the granddad pardon, okay? But a lot of times, if you, if you were sweet enough and you said in his presence enough just how awful and unfair the punishment was you were receiving, you could receive the granddad pardon, and all of the punishment would go away. Now, he was smart enough to know he had to let you suffer a little bit before he did that to keep our parents from being furious about it, right? But it was a great system. It was a great system because we would recognize the problem. We would recognize that we had done something wrong. We would recognize how you needed to be punished for it, but then he would swoop in and he would kind of save the day. 
And if you think about it, that's essentially what Jesus has done for all of us too. We all recognize the mess that we have made of ourselves, don't we? We recognize it because we see the consequences of sin working out in our lives and in our world every single day. But now that we recognize the consequences and what a a mess we have really made of ourselves, how great is it to know that we have somebody who can step in for us and be our go-between, who can offer us this kind of pardon because of what he has done through his work on the cross. Today we're going to talk about Jesus being our mediator. And I want to share with you three things that I think are important for us to, to know about the kind of mediator Jesus actually is. Today I want us to talk about how Jesus is the kind of mediator who is connected, he's the kind of mediator who is humble, and he's the kind of mediator who is willing to pay. Now let me start by reading a verse for you that comes from the book of 2 Timothy. This is 2 Timothy uh, chapter, I'm sorry, it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, all about how Jesus is our mediator. Here's what it says. It says, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Well, first, if you need a mediator, it is awfully important that that mediator is connected. Because here's the thing, if the mediator is not connected, they don't really have the power or the influence to do anything about your problem in the first place, right? Let me give you an example. Uh, one time when I was working over in Grundy at this church, I, um, I, I might have been going a little too fast on my way to church on Sunday morning. I got this speeding ticket, okay? And the guy who gave me the speeding ticket was, was uh, I thought a good fellow, but he became a jerk in my eyes really fast because he gave me the speeding ticket while I was on my way to church when there was nobody else on the road, and I was just going a couple of miles an hour over the speed limit. He pulls me over. Turns out it's a fellow who I had just done a funeral with. He was a singer and a cop, and I was a preacher, right? And so we did a funeral together. He gave me this ticket and pretended like he had no idea who I was, okay? And so we, uh, we, we did the whole thing where we pretended like we didn't know each other. He gives me this ticket. I end up going to court. When I get to court, it just so happens my friend, who is a preacher over there, was with me in the car. And he said, well, I'll go in there with you. And so we go in and we sit down in the courthouse. We wait for my name to be called, you know, for me to get up and explain uh, my problem to the judge. They call my name. I get up and do just that. And then the judge says, after he tells me all the things that um, he's going to do to punish me, right? He says, um, uh, did you come in with that fellow back there? And I said, I did. He said, you know him? I said, yeah. He said, is he your friend? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you need better friends. And then he said, case dismissed. Because it turned out my friend was his friend too. See what I mean? How important it is to have people in your life that are connected, right? And Jesus was connected in a way that nobody else has ever been connected to God. Jesus is God's son. Now, I remember when I was a youth minister, I would, I would do this to the kids a lot. I would like play devil's advocate, you know, and, and try to mess with them. And so I would say, what's so special about Jesus anyway? He's not that special. And they would say, well, yeah, he's special because he's, he's God's son. And I would say, oh, he's God's son? Well, that's not a big deal. I'm God's son, too, and you're God's daughter, right? So what's it really matter if Jesus is God's son? What's so special about that? 
And then they would go on and say, oh, well, he's not just God's son, but he's God's son who never sinned. And I sure couldn't claim that I was that, right? And so I, the whole thing would fall apart. They, they always found out my trick. But here's the thing. What we maybe don't realize because we use that phrase God's son kind of flippantly is that when it talks about Jesus being God's son, it doesn't mean he's God's son in the same way that all of us are God's children. It talks about us being adopted into the family of Abraham, right? We, we are like God's adopted children. But when it talks about Jesus, it talks about him in a different way. In fact, in probably the most famous verse that's ever been written, John 3, 16, it says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Now, it takes us three words to say that, only begotten son. But in Greek, it only takes one word. It's the word monogenes. Mono means one, you know, like monocle. The genes part is our word for genes, G-E-N-E-S, genes, not Levi's, right? And the word gene, genes, it just means to be fathered. And so you see, Jesus is special among all the people because he is the only one that God ever begat. He's the only one that God ever fathered. Because Jesus is more than just human. Jesus is God who made himself human in order that he could be the perfect go-between, standing in our place and taking the punishment that we deserved. Jesus is connected in a way that nobody else can be. Jesus is our perfect mediator. But it's not just that. Not only is Jesus connected, but Jesus is also humble. In fact, I want to read some verses to you from the book of Philippians that describe just how far Jesus went in order to save each of us. These are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Here's what it says. Chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. He gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did not think equality with God as something to cling to. And so he left behind his divine privileges in heaven. Also, he could come to earth where for the first time ever, he would suffer. And where God would die. And he did this all because he loves you with that kind of love. Where he looks past the mess that you've made of yourself and instead sees you for what you are. The treasure that he made in his own image. 
Jesus takes humility to a whole new level. And humility is not the easiest. Not the easiest of all of the many virtues for us to even take on ourselves. I mean, think about what little we have in our little kingdoms. Think about, comparatively speaking, how little money is in our bank account compared to the richest people on the earth, you know? Think about how little power we have compared to the kings of the world. And then imagine how little power and money and influence the kings of the world and the richest of the rich have in comparison to who God is. And yet Jesus, he left all that behind to come here to make himself just like us in order that he could save us all. It reminds me of a story of this lady who, she went to the dentist. And when she got there, she began to think that maybe she had gone to high school with this dentist. She wasn't sure, but she thought maybe she did. The name seemed familiar. And so as he came into the room to begin working on her, she looked at him and thought, no, I don't think, I don't think we went to school together. He's got way too many wrinkles and gray hair, and he's a little bit chubby, and that doesn't look like the same guy I went to school with. I don't think it is. But the longer he worked inside of her mouth, the more it kind of got her thinking that this may be the same guy, right? And so finally, when he was all finished, she thought to herself, I'm going to have to figure this out or I'm going to regret it. And so she said to him, hey, did you go to Pikeville High School? Was that where you went to school? And he said, yeah, I did. And, and she said, well, what year did you graduate? And he said, oh, I graduated you know, in 1985. Oh, 1985. Well, that's great. She said, I'm pretty sure that you were in my class. And he said, really? Which one did you teach? <sighs> Humility. Humility is not that easy for us to take on ourselves as a personal virtue. And yet Jesus, he gave up everything in order that we could be free. That's the kind of mediator that Jesus is. But it's not just that Jesus is humble it's that jesus is willing to pay i heard a story not long ago about john oliver you know what i'm talking about he's one of those hosts on tv but he he did this thing where uh medical debt has become such a huge problem in people's lives that he got a bunch of people together in his tv show and all that and they raised 15 million dollars and they paid off 15 million dollars worth of medical debt now, you can imagine what a, a blessing this would be to somebody, right? You, you, out of nowhere, get the diagnosis that you have cancer, and this is not at all your fault, but now you're crippled under all of this, this medical debt and such, and you're worried about how you're even going to pay your bills, and they keep sending you bill after bill. And, and anyway, somebody just comes along and pays it all for you, and it's all gone. Uh, I like, I like what, when, when John Oliver was telling people about it, I thought this was funny. This is how he ended the little segment talking about the, the, the medical debt relief. He ends it by saying this. He says, okay, we've paid off $15 million in medical debt. And then he said, Oprah, the ball's in your court. <laughs> Listen, having somebody pay off your debt is a huge deal that should not be overlooked. I mean, I would be thrilled if somebody paid off a tiny part of mine, let alone millions of dollars, right? 
And yet Jesus is the kind of mediator who is willing to do just that. But he doesn't pay with the money that's in his bank account. Jesus pays with his own blood. In fact, I want you to see what it is that Paul says about that when he's talking to some elders at the church in Ephesus. He spent a couple of years with them on his missionary journey, and now it's time for him to go back to Jerusalem where he's pretty sure that he's going to be arrested and that he may well die. And so these are like his parting words to the leaders of this church. And as he tells them all the things that he wants them to do, one of the things that he tells them is that he wants them to take care of the people in the church just like they're little sheep, and they are the shepherds. And so listen to what he says to the elders. This is verse 28 of chapter 20. He says, So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock. And this is then how he describes the church. He says... God's own church, purchased with God's own blood. Jesus is not just willing to give from the millions that are in his television show's bank account. He's willing to give even his own life in order that you could be made free. 2 Corinthians says essentially the same. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Here's what it says. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus, he is our mediator. He's our go-between. He is the one who acts on that love of God which sees us for who we are, the people that he first created and that he loved so deeply, he was willing to do anything to make sure that we came back to him. Jesus is the perfect mediator because he's connected and because he's humble. He's not doing this for any kind of selfish gain. He's the perfect mediator because he's willing to pay even with his own blood. But here's the thing. If you go back to that verse that I read you at the very beginning from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you go back a couple of verses, back to verse 1, you find out that Jesus has a plan for all of us that he has saved. Here's what he says. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Did you hear what Paul said? Jesus is the perfect mediator. And he expects those of us who are his people to help him in the work of interceding for a world that is broken. Only Jesus can mediate between us and God. But we are people who can get people to Jesus. And guess what kind of people... Jesus expects to do that. Well, people who are just like him. It turns out that what Jesus expects from all of us is that we follow in his same attitude. It turns out that what Jesus expects is that as we go out into the world and we intercede for people by bringing them to God and showing them what he can do for them, that we are supposed to be the kind of people who are connected 
the kind of people who are humble and the kind of people who are willing to pay. Connected because we have a real and lasting relationship with Jesus. Humble because we're not doing this to score brownie points in heaven or something, but instead because we truly, deeply love people and because we want them to know that there is a better world out there that God offers for them. And finally, being willing to pay, not just by giving a little money in the offering, even though that's great, but instead by actually being willing to give our lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus expects is that all of us follow in his footsteps and that as he mediates for the world, we work alongside him to bring people to the great mediator. And so the question today is, how are you doing? Are you connected? Is your relationship with him real and lasting? Are you humble? Or are you so full of pride that, that you only really see yourself and you're pretty sure the whole world revolves around you? Are you willing to pay? Giving the privilege and the wealth that you have to ensure that other people find Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. The only answer to the mess we've created. Why don't you join this church as we try to follow him in his work? Let's pray. Today, Father, we're thankful for Jesus. Thankful that through his work, we have been made whole. Thankful that despite whatever we've done, no matter how terrible it is, that Jesus has paid the price for our sin. That he has bought us with his own blood. And today we pray that you help us as a church who loves him and who is grateful for his love to be the kind of people who are willing to follow him in his example. Help us, Father, to be people who are constantly growing deeper in our relationship with you. Help us to be people who are humble as we go out and speak to a world that is hurting. And Father, help us to be people who are willing to sacrifice for the good of the cause. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the work of Jesus on the cross which bought us from the sin which had become our master. And so each week we gather together around God's table in order to remember just what Jesus has done for all of us. And so today as we gather together as a family, we eat this small meal to remember Jesus' work of 
taking away our sin, of being our mediator, our go-between, of interceding on our behalf. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He shared it with all of his disciples and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. That same night he took the cup and he blessed it and he poured it out. He shared it with all of his friends and said, Drink this, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for the sins of the world. And so we now do what our Lord Jesus asked us to do. We eat some bread and drink some juice in order to remember him. Let's eat and drink together.